Well, good morning, and let me add my welcome to that of Pam's as you gather here this morning. Especially if you're visiting with us, uh, you've heard a mention already been made to our minister, Christoph Ebbinghaus. Uh, I'm the assistant minister here. Uh, my name's David McCullough, and you're very welcome as you join with us. If you've been following with us uh, through 1 Corinthians, you will, you will realize from our reading this morning, we've got another easy one this morning to work through. And uh, we'll, Christoph assures me he doesn't pick them. I'm not so sure at times. I don't know what was going through your head whenever you come to this passage in 1 Corinthians uh, as Gavin read it for us. But this is one of the most contentious, one of them, not the one, but one of the most contentious topics that is discussed in the church. And whenever I say church, I mean church universal. Every denomination, there's a discussion of some sort or other regarding the place and the roles of men and women in the church. If you've been following the news this week, you will have seen that the Church of England is about to come to the conclusion of their debate uh, whether women should be allowed to be bishops or not. And that vote will come in September. It's been about a three and a half year process. Uh, the argument is, those that are for it, that there's an embarrassment of belonging to a church which still bars women from the highest position of leadership and is, in their view, the last bastion of male, male chauvinism in a society that has rejected it. So that's what people are, are saying, that why they want women bishops in the Church of England. In the against camp, you have two parties. You have the Anglo-Catholics who revere the traditions and ceremonies of the church some believe a woman cannot be a valid bishop and ordaining women prevents unity with the Roman Catholic Church, that long-term aim of reunification. Or on the other side of that, you have the evangelicals who place great stress on the teachings of the Bible and those who oppose women bishops say scripture requires male headship in the church. As he's commented on this, Vaughan Roberts, a, a, a rector in England, has said the fact that our society holds a particular view is not a reason for Christians to adopt it. The fact that our society holds a particular view is not a reason for Christians to adopt it. And to give you a little bit of encouragement, David Jackman, another commentator on this passage, says some passages are hard to understand and so engage the mind at full stretch as we try to work out their meaning. Other passages are hard to accept and so engage the will at full stretch as we try to respond to them in obedience. But this passage comes into both categories. So it's going to be a little bit of work for us this morning as we come uh, to look at this. So let's come and let's pray because we cannot do this on our own but with God's help. Father God, we have gathered here this morning, each of us from a different walk in life. Different things in life influence our thinking when it comes to how we interpret the Bible. So help us to get beyond what culture dictates and what society says we should do. And help us to look at what your word teaches us as the only uh, position of truth uh, that we can come from. Help us to find ourselves in your word. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. One thing you'll have noticed as we've gone through 1 Corinthians, where Paul starts out, is just the tip of the iceberg of where he wants to go. And again, that's what happens in this passage in 1 Corinthians 11, verses 2 to 16. It would be helpful if you had it open in front of you, page 1152, as we make our way through this passage. So Paul initially starts his discussion or his argument uh, in this particular passage. He starts it as only as a way to the end of where he really wants to get to. His direct teaching that will be applied to the church in Corinth, but also to the church today. And so I want to jump to where we're going to finish, and then we'll come back and find the path that leads us there. Paul is ultimately saying, God has made us different with complementary rules, and we will most thrive and glorify him when we accept that distinction rather than seeking to obliterate it. In verses 3 to 4, Paul gives us an outline. He says, I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Uh, In verse 3, he's given us this idea of, of what a chain is like, but Paul isn't that helpful for us because in this passage, the term head comes up time and time again, and he interchanges it without telling us really what his true meaning is. In one instance, it will be the physical head that we each have on our bodies. And in other cases, it will be a metaphorical head, one to whom we're responsible, one to whom uh, who cares for us and looks after us, and, and one who is really there for us. I want you to remove from your mind any idea that this is about an authority issue as to who has charge over who, because that's not what Paul is getting to. Because he's very clear later in the passage saying that ultimately we are under God as Christ is under God, as man is under Christ, and as woman is under man. This is how he sets it out so that we will know that he's not talking about authority. Because if he was talking about authority, he could not say that God and Christ, that God is the head of Christ. We know that in our Trinitarian theology, they are one and equal. So therefore, there can be no distinction of authority. But rather, in putting this distinction as God as a head of Christ, he is saying he's talking about the relationship. Christ submitted to God as the head. The will of God was submitted to so that he would come to this earth. He would give of himself freely but yet not lose any of his own relationship with God in terms of what he did, except for that moment when he took the sin of the world on himself, but that he would be in perfect relationship with God. So there can be no distinction of authority between God and Christ. So this passage is not about authority. In verse 2, where we will begin... Paul seems to be doing something that we find a little bit strange as we've been looking at the past 10 chapters in the Corinthians or to the Corinthians in this letter. They haven't been very good at doing what they're supposed to do. And all of a sudden, Paul is saying to them, I praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding to the teachings just as I pass them on to you. 
And we really don't have to go much further in this passage either to see that they weren't really doing what Paul had said for them to do. So what Paul seems to be doing is actually a way of encouragement. I don't know if you remember being in school. I know whenever I was teaching, we used to call it the sandwich approach. You'd have your two slices of bread and your meat in the middle. The two pieces of bread were normally your encouragement and your meat in the middle was the real stuff that you wanted to get to. Normally something that had to be uh, adjusted or sorted out with something that was wrong or incorrect. So what it seems Paul is doing here is saying, look, you're keeping to some of the things. You're doing your best in some cases. But yet again, here's another place where you need a little bit of encouragement. We know that Paul is responding to a letter that he has received. So in uh, that letter, it seems that it has been reported that liberties have been taken by women on their place when the church gathers for public worship. So this is where Paul starts, addressing the issue that has been brought to his attention. In verse 5, we learn something about what the early church was like. In verse 5 he says, Every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is just as though her head were shaved. Let's not think about what he talks about head for the moment, but actually look at what's going on. Every woman who prays or prophesies. Prayer didn't have to be a public thing. Prayer can be done privately. There's no problem with that. But whenever you come to prophecy... Prophecy cannot be done privately. It is something that is done publicly. What is prophecy? Prophecy is a message from God that is to be delivered to his people. So Paul seems to have no problem in the Corinthian church and indeed other churches where he can freely say that women pray and prophesy in public. But the issue is that when they're doing it, they are taking liberties there's a bit of culture here that we need to understand. It it plays a lot in this passage and we really, and every commentator that writes on it will say, well, it might be this or it might be that, but at the end of the day, we do not know. Regarding head coverings, there was a certain way, as today, in which people dressed. There was an appropriate dress for men and there was an appropriate dress for ladies. And it was about being recognized within society. So what Paul is challenging here is that we cannot, or or that the church here cannot confuse who they are. One commentator describes it as a woman going up with her head uncovered so that she'd be like a man, or indeed a man going up with his head covered uh, is to be like a woman in the cultural understanding, trying to hide his face or for the woman to open hers up. Paul is concerned that there's a little bit of something going on here where the created order distinction of male and female is being watered down and people are taking liberties with what they can do within the rules of the created order that they've been given. And and Paul has already, and it's part of his message in Galatians 3.28, he's already said and affirms that there's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So how does he measure this up with what he's challenging these women about? For Paul, it's a step too far. 
Because there are two things that Paul is getting at here. There is the physical, visible church, but then there's also the church as seen through the eyes of God. That is the makeup, the individuals of the church, believers who are found in Christ, the heavenly perspective on their lives. It is true that in the eyes of Christ there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. But in the church, the visible church that has to deal with its interpretation of Scripture and how it works in the world, he says there are some things that we need to keep check on. The women are pushing the boundaries. They're going too far for Paul's liking as to what can and cannot be done. They're becoming like the priests and the priestesses of the the gods of the many uh, in Corinth. He wants to challenge it and he wants to recognize the created order. In verses 8 to 10, Paul goes to that created order. For man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. In this he suggests that men can cope without women. I dare say that women have a different idea about that. However, Paul believes that in the created order, man was created to tend the garden, and he could do that okay. Because it's whenever we get to Genesis 2, verse 18, God saw that although man could work in the garden, it was better if he had a companion to help him. So while man is in a deep, deep sleep, woman was created as a helper. So the original design for man was that he could get on with whatever tasks he had to do, but it was better to have a companion who would help him with those tasks. So here is Paul's created order teaching for the church. And it is for the visible church today, because in verse 11, he then goes on to talk about the church believers from the perspective of Christ. Paul sees that because man was created first and woman was created as a companion for encouragement and help with this work, this is the order in which things are as creation. And there's no doubt in the differences between men and women. And that was the conclusion of John Gray in his 1993 book entitled Men Are From Mars and Women Are From Venus. I don't know if you've read it. I don't claim to have a copy, but with what you can get uh, by looking at Google Books these days, it seems that his conclusion in the book was that there is a difference between men and women. His challenge was to the 1960s, 70s, 80s uh, feminist movement that, that wanted to bring down the distinctions of men and women and make it just one gender type. He is saying, no, in this society... Not even looking at a biblical perspective, he says, no, there are differences. Paul is encouraging the church whenever he comes to look at, look at it with the eyes of Christ to celebrate the difference created by God rather than becoming gender neutral. And this is the reason and the challenge to both male and female in verses 4 to 7. Men are to be men and not look as if they are not. And women are to look like women, and not to look like they are not. Again, this is a, a culturally subtle thing that we may not immediately recognize. 
but he is challenging the believers in Corinth to recognize the created order and the position in which God has placed them. Think of it in terms of a marriage relationship. The sign in our culture that two people have committed to sharing and living life together is the wedding band on their hand. For the man, it shows that he is committed to care and love the woman he made vows to. For the woman, it is a sign that she knows the security of her husband and has committed to support and encourage him. What is happening, or what has been happening in Corinth, is that these relationship commitments were being liberalized. And each were taking their own view and their own way on it, rather than to what they had committed to. They had allowed the influence of false religions to come in and to to warp their thinking. And perhaps for us, the equivalent of our modern day is our political correctness. Do we allow it to take hold whenever the Bible clearly says that there is a distinction? And this is Paul's issue their behavior failed to recognize that the fundamental differences between men and women, which go back to their creations, still remain since the coming of Christ's kingdom. Paul is saying to this church, yes, we are free, as we have been looking at over the past number of weeks, but we are placed in a position, a relational position, And whenever I say relational, don't think of marriage. That was just an example. But each of us are in relation with someone. Whether it be in our wider families, whether it be as a community here in church, whether it be in our places of work, we are relational people. And because of the coming of Christ's kingdom, those relationships need to be as strong as ever. If you were following, probably the most ambiguous verse in all of this passage is verse 10. All of a sudden, angels are thrown into the mix. The verse says, For this reason, and because of the angels, the woman ought to have a sign of authority on her head. Angels are seen as the guardians of creation and the created order. And therefore, they are the ones who who have this overall view of what it is, and so in respect of them. But it goes on, therefore, because of their position in eternity, the woman needs to have her head covered as a sign of authority, a head covering. But what does it look like in the 21st century? Does it mean that all women must wear head coverings as they come in next week? A few weeks ago, I taught you a wonderful little song I learned as a child about going down to the pub, which, of course, I'll never go, as the song said. There Actually, we did learn one about hats as well. I had a great upbringing. Unfortunately, I cannot remember what it was. And I did try to find it, because I'm sure now, looking back 20 years later, it would be quite amusing. But I can remember what its message was. It said, in the eyes of God, or it's paraphrased, in the eyes of God, you are not right until you have a hat on your head. It covers your shame It exposes your guilt, and then it goes something, 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 but a hat on your head. And so as children, of course, we boys were very, we don't have to wear hats, mind you, we did have to wear a shirt and tie. But for the girls, they were taught from a very early age that to find favor with God, they had to have a hat on their head. 
Now, that's a completely different argument as an argument of respect for God. But actually, to know God's love, you have to have a hat on your head. I don't believe that this, that this passage is telling us that next Sunday morning, as women are walking into church, there must be a hat on their head, or that we buy a little box of hats to give out at the door. We need to remember in the context of what this is all about. It's about relationship. Right at the very beginning of this passage, Paul has started out with a chain of relationship. what he's exactly saying in this little verse. Women must know the authority that they're under. He uses the word authority here. But it is about a relational authority. One who is looking out for them and caring for them. They must recognize that. But in the same token, they must also know the freedom that they have to play a role in congregational life. It's not about submission to sit there and be quiet, but it's about being fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So we're going to wrap things up with the last couple of verses. Paul turns his attention as to how believers are seen in Christ. And over the past number of weeks, we've talked a lot about Christian freedom. The past number of weeks have have all been focused about what what we are free to do, but because of our relationship with Christ and for the sake of the community that we're part of, we will choose not to do something that we fully have the right to do. And this is what Paul is addressing again. In the previous verse, in verse 10, he recognizes the rights of individuals. But now he is taking it out of the earthly sphere and giving it an eternal perspective. And he's finishing by affirming that male and females are interdependent on each other. And ultimately, both men and women receive their authority from God. Paul recognizes the need to maintain the created order, but that it must not be used in a chauvinistic way or in a way that undermines the created position of men. So what can we take from this as we go forward? I want to speak to three different groups of people. First of all, to the men. In your relationships, whatever they may be, whether they be marriage relationships, friendship relationships, or household relationships, that is, perhaps you are the only son or you you are the oldest son in a household. Whatever your relationship to others as a man, Love the women who are under your care. Love them. And in that love, encourage them. Lead them. Allow them to be who God wants them to be. In those relationships, do what you can. Yes, woman may have been created as a companion and someone for man, but we cannot be chauvinistic about it. We cannot be in turn over our, our wives or um, our partners or whoever we have in our relationships. It is not about sitting there, be quiet, and wait until I tell you to move, but a loving relationship just as Christ loves the church. 
Love your women, encourage them, lead them, and allow them to be. Can I tell you one of my feelings in my now four and a half months of marriage? I fail to lead. Society doesn't encourage me to lead, but I fail to lead. I fail to uh, to give a lead in my home whenever the Bible calls me to do that in the created order in which God has given me. Again, that does not mean that I dictate what must be done. It doesn't mean that I come in after a day at work, sit in front of the television and expect everything to come to me. That's not leading. But giving a lead means that we judge what is best for the household. Not for me, not for self, but for the good of the whole household. And men, one more thing. Can we pray in our prayer meetings? In our gatherings for prayer, as I've gone up and down this country at different prayer gatherings uh, over recent years, the majority of prayers are women. That is good. But men, where are we when it comes to bring things before God in prayer? We need to be praying, people. We need to be praying men as part of our responsibility uh, in the created order that God has given I've written down here women, but I think that's... uh, Let me go polite. Ladies, can I encourage you? Can I encourage you to encourage your men? Whoever the men are in your life, in church, in home, in family, in work, whoever they are, can you encourage them? Can you build them up? Can you help them with the responsibilities that they carry? Can you keep praying for them? My last comment to the men about praying is not to to say that you shouldn't pray or, 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 or take away your responsibility of prayer. That responsibility is there. Can you keep praying for the men in your lives? Siblings, a father, an uncle, cousins, those in leadership in churches and organizations that we're involved with. Can we keep praying for them? Then the third group of people are all of us as a church. Can we complement each other as men and women under the authority of God but recognizing our different relational rules? Can we complement each other in all areas of ministry? Can we release different things to allow others who may not be of the same gender as we are to do it? Can we allow people to be fulfilled in Jesus Christ as the Bible tells us rather than what the world throws in at us saying this is what you must become? What can we take home from today? I want to go right back to where we started. The ultimate thing that Paul is saying, God has made us different with complementary rules and we will most thrive and glorify him when we accept that distinction rather than seeking to obliterate it. Let's pray.
Father, at times we would love your word to give us a long list of do's and don'ts. But if you did that, you would be a tyrant and you wouldn't be a relational God that we know. So help us determine within the framework of the truth that is your word to know how we are to take this passage and apply it. What headship means. What it means in the relationships that we have with each other. What it means for rules within the church. Father, help us as together we do this. Help us to know our place as found in Jesus Christ. So that we can do the tasks and use the gifts and abilities that he has given us. To mature in faith. And in whatever way, help your people to know you more. In each of our own individual lives, help us. Help us to do what we need to do. Forgive us for when we failed you and help us not to get caught up in the guilt of that. But Lord, release us. Release us today into a new, a new position or whatever we want to call it where, where we can be to our men or to our women what you've always intended us to be as part of your created order. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's